Today's episode of The Thriller Zone with David Temple is sponsored by Blackstone Publishing in the exciting new spy thriller Dark Arena by real-life French spy Jack Beaumont. Dark Arena is available now from your favorite bookseller. Hello and welcome to The Thriller Zone. I'm your host, David Temple, and on today's 170th episode, we are talking with Mr. Nick Petrie, a return guest on the show, and we're talking about his book, The Price You Pay. Let's get to it right here in The Thriller Zone. You look good. You must be working out or something. Well, actually, I am. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for noticing, Nick. And uh, you're on a laptop, and it's uh, it's on a stand, so I'm seeing the little wobble, right? You're on a laptop. Yeah, I'll, on a I'll st- put my hands in my pockets. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> As opposed to this. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you know what? Actually, we could do this just for a while, just to really f- people you know, says. It's, it's the earthquake edition. <laughs> oh, man. It is so good to see you. Likewise. Folks, by the way, it's Nick Petrie here on the Thriller Zone. Welcome, Nick. Thanks for having me, David. It's a great yeah. pleasure. Man, I'm so glad to, that you're here. And this book right here, The Price You Pay, this, you know, this is going to sound so corny and cliche, so just bear with me for crying out loud. It's my show. Right when you think, you know, that that book's pretty good, and then you come out with the next one, you go, you know, that might be a little bit better. And then you come out with this one. I'm like, God bless America. He did it again. I mean, this one's good. Well, I appreciate it. It was a long, hard road on this one. Uh, I had a year without a book and, uh, you know, some books sort of come out of you and some books uh, you have to uh, drag out kicking and screaming. And this was one of those books. So I'm glad all of the effort showed. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, I was up very early as most days and I was squeezing in the I had gotten to the very last couple of pages and it's uh it was such a satisfying ending you know sometimes you books will fall into a couple of categories oh he he really raced to the end and then he just turned on the heat and there it was other times it's like oh god could this thing end <laughs> then you got the then you got the ones that right there in the middle where you go man that was like perfectly balanced and just did this nice little layup uh, of an ending so kudos to you buddy thank you thank you yeah i think endings are important and, I, and i'm not sure they always get as much attention from writers as they should so i appreciate that yeah uh last time we saw each other i was sitting there going okay well it was just you know it's so funny what your head will do to you i'm like well it's just like last no uh i had to go back and look it up it was uh it was thriller fest 22 and then you and i jumped on a show in august yeah so that would have been a couple of months later here's my point can you believe it's been two years dude you know, like the older I get, the faster it goes, which is really strange. Um, I, I'm having, and I think the pandemic didn't help that stuff because you, you get sort of lost in your own world in a way that you, you know, that I certainly wasn't before. So, I, no, time is flying. Time is flying. Yeah. In the front of the book, as you see, I, I circle it. And the reason I circled it is two reasons. First of all, I've hung out with Mike Tyson uh, for an entire weekend, and he's a character. So you have this quote that kicks off your uh, book, your epigraph. Uh, Everyone has a plan until he gets punched in the mouth. Great line. He is a machine. You know, he, uh, he has pet pigeons. 
Do you know that? I didn't know that. Didn't yeah, know. He did, lives he, in, did he grow up in New York City? I don't know, but he lives in a, I visited him at his house in Vegas. I was shooting a documentary thing for a friend and uh, you got in this million dollar home right outside of Vegas. And he has an entire wall of cages of pigeons and he lets them out and feeds them and talks to them and they fly back and forth. Anyway, whatever you need. So when I saw this, I remember a moment, if I, if you don't mind me sharing this, we're hanging out in his boxing ring there in Vegas, kind of his practice ring. And I'm thinking, yeah, everyone knows he's got a punch, right? And this is going to come back to your story. So I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready to shoot this particular scene and they move the, uh, what's it called? The. What's a great big bag called? The heavy bag. Heavy bag. And it's chained to the rafters. And he comes up and he hits it. And the whole building, I shit you not, goes. So it's a visceral memory. So when I saw that, I love it. And it's a great way to kick off your book. Speaking of which, if I may, um, this book starts with that thing that um I love it when uh, a writer of your caliber can craft an opening paragraph actually it's about 3 pages that makes your heart tick up a beat and you're like wow how did he do that first of all it's just great writing but I'm like and then it's just like dun, 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 and you know something's around the corner so I I love the way you start that well thanks it's you know what's one of the challenges for me as a writer to I'll, I'll often write four or five different beginnings um not knowing what the book is going to be um so i just am looking for the thing that has the right feel where i'm sort of i i'm, I'm stepping into that sense of tension uh and and you know i need to know a little bit but not too much um because then i sort of lose interest um i apparently have a short attention span or something um so you know, th- this was the uh, this was my third or fourth, I think, attempt at the at the beginning of this, and it just sort of you know right from the beginning, there's this like sort of sense of tension and the sense of the unknown, and Peter basically crawling out of bed. Um, uh, he's in bed with uh, June Cassidy, his paramour, Sweet Patootie, um, and he hears he hears this noise coming from downstairs, and so there's sort of this instant tick of uh, kind of what's happening, what's going on, and and he he. Uh, you know, grabs the the pistol he keeps under the nightstand, screws on a silencer because uh, you know if this goes bad, who the hell is calling me? Because if this goes bad, um, uh, you know you don't want to wake the neighbors, right? Um, and creeps downstairs to find Lewis making coffee and peanut butter sandwiches in his kitchen at four o'clock in the morning in the dead of winter. And so you know that sets up sort of a, you know, a a it sort of reverses the dynamic immediately because usually Peter is the one who's who's found someone in trouble, and when things get hairy, he calls Lewis. And so immediately you know that this book is going to be kind of the opposite of that, right? It's Lewis who's got a friend who's in trouble, and he asked Peter to help. So that's you know it was a it was in an, and I. And I you know, I, I didn't plan that in particular. Like, I don't think about this stuff ahead of time. I just sort of see what comes out. Um, and the trick is to sort of be able to see then what you've done and what the seeds are there that you can play with. 
It's so funny you should start out of the gate with that because my very next line, it's right here. I'm curious. I'm well aware of that first opening uh, moments that comes to an author. And more often than not, they remain seared in your memory. Uh, I can remember scenes that I've written years ago and it's just a, a single a sentence and you never forget it. So I went, question, how much did that opening scene change from draft one to whenever it landed? How funny. Uh, boy, very little. Um... Very, very little. Uh, I, I, I do have a problem of endlessly tweaking when I don't know what happens next. Yeah. Um, and I can tell, like, when I'm dodging something or I, or I don't know or I'm sort of scared to start this next thing because I don't, you know, I'm not sure I have a handle on it. Um, so then I'm always, like, well, revising sentences and moving things around. And, and on this one, I did so little of that because I sort of already knew that, that – um, Peter was going to accept uh, Lewis's uh, ask, and he, they were going to get in Lewis's Yukon, and they were going to drive north. And I, and I could sort of build again a little more tension that way between the, you know, the, the frigid February night, uh, driving north into the teeth of this blizzard, and uh, we, you know, Lewis is telling Peter sort of about this, this friend of his, his, you know, one of the a, a one-time member of his crew, um, who sent out this kind of distress call. Um, so, and then we, you know, it, it all just sort of grew and it, 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 I don't know, some, some books feel very, um, uh, like I have to make some jumps and this book just all, once I got there, it all just sort of flowed out. Well, you know, we started off the show talking about how time flies and can you believe it was just 2016 when you debuted Peter Ash? I, I was thinking to myself, oh, it's, it's been like dozens of years and i'm like no it's only 2016 that's only help me with math eight years ago yeah but that's 56 years in dog years so <laughs> which is about how it feels <laughs> so while it may seem a little uh captain obvious for me to say uh where or who would you say inspired you to create this war vet that suffered as many do with ptsd I had um, I had a bunch of clients in my former life. I was a freelance home inspector, so if you bought a house, you'd hire a guy like me to tell you what was wrong with it. And, and I had been a, a, a renovation um, contractor prior to that, so I had a, a lot of knowledge, um, and I was really aware that um, I was often the only person in this transaction that uh, was actually going to tell these people the truth. Um, Real estate being what it is, often, sure. um, and and so we. I it was after the surge, and I realized I had all these clients who were coming home from the war. And um, when you are a um, when you're a vet and, and you've been through some some harrowing shit, um, it's hard to talk to people about it because mm -hmm. your your family at home they have no idea what you've been through, and and often they don't really want to know. Um, because, and you're scared to tell them because it might, it might paint you in a certain light, right? That you're not sure. proud of, um, or, or that you just don't want to burden them with. Um, and then there's your, your military family, right? The guys you served with, um, the people you went through basic with. And, um, you know, that's a whole different aesthetic, right? That's about, you know, being tough and being strong and sucking it up. And when you're in combat, you need that. But it doesn't help when you come home. Right. So, but I was this guy in the middle, 
right? So we would be, I'd, I'd spend three or four hours with these folks and we'd be, you know, down at the basement uh, and I'm, I'm looking at the foundation or, you know, going over the furnace or whatever. Um, and, and, you know, they're going to see me once and they're never going to see me again. And so I'm a safe person to talk to. Sure. And I would, you know, some, you know, some guys were wearing and, you know, you wear an army shirt or you got a tattoo or, you know, and, and sometimes I would say, so, you know, you were in the army and it, I mean, it doesn't happen all the time, but there's something about me that people tell me crazy stuff, you know, yeah. in line in the grocery store, uh, waiting at the airport, people tell me stuff. Um, and so these stories would come out of these young men and women. And I just kind of fell in love with sort of what they had, who they were and why they had gone. Yeah. And this sense of, I mean, nobody, nobody ever told them what the, what the aftermath might be like. You know, you sign up to, to, to serve your country. You sign up to uh, be of use. You sign up to leave your small town or get some opportunity, get money for college. Um, but the other side of war is a, is a different country. Um, and so I, I really got interested in that and, and in those folks. And that sort of turned into this long conversation with vets that I'm still having. Um, about post-traumatic stress and how you, you know, kind of rediscover what your life might be after, you know, what is for most vets really the most profound experience in their young lives. Um, so I, you know, I, I, you know, I just kind of fell down that rabbit hole and I never thought that book would be published, quite frankly. I'd written three books I couldn't get published previously. Um, and I just sort of was like, well, fine, I'm going to write this for myself and I'm going to explore the things that I'm interested in. And, and that's how Peter Ash came to be. Well, uh, I'm going to give you a couple of compliments here. No, I'm not just blowing smoke. You know, I don't do that, but, uh, part of it is, uh, the, first of all, good on you for acknowledging guys and gals who have gone through this. But, uh, first time I met you and sometimes meeting the guys that you read and you're, you know, you hold them in certain high regard, you're wondering, oh, is he going to be a star guy? And, but sometimes I met you. That's awkward. Yeah. And, but you're so, you're so warm and approachable and so chill. And I think that's part of the magic for your experience where people just feel like, oh, he's a real guy, good guy down to earth. I can just talk to him. So. Good on well, you. I, I appreciate that. I mean, I, I'm interested in people, and I think that's part of kind of how and why this stuff happens to me is yeah. because I'm, I'm, you know, I want to know who people are. I, I want to engage with people, and you know, I think you know, in some way, folks can folks can tell. And I do, I do want to say very clearly, and I say this in all my books that I'm not a veteran, so this is not my experience. Right. But but these these books are based on literally hundreds of conversations. Uh, with folks from folks who served in Vietnam uh, and going forward. But see, that tells us something about you and your heart. The fact that you reach out to that former soldier or current soldier and, uh, and feel for them as many of us do. So again, I applaud that. Um, and, and now I, now I get it why you have Peter renovating a house. And I think I remember this from the last book, right? Wasn't he renovating something then too? And then I'm like, oh, uh, Nick's got to be some kind of a renovation guy. He's got to be some, he probably sits at home. Folks, let me see if he does this. Do you sit at home on weekends and watch this old house ever? 
No, that kind of stuff annoys me, quite honestly. As a as a former pro, um, I you know you you don't see the vast amount of money and effort and blood and sweat that goes into those projects. Um, yeah, so I, not not so much. I do I do lay awake in the middle of the night and imagine the things I would do to my house if I had the money, right? Um, uh, and or the time, um, but. I, you know, I, I am in my in my heart of hearts. I'm a I'm a blue collar working class guy. I spent I spent you know thirty years, you know, taking apart and putting back together old houses or looking at old houses and telling people what was wrong with them and sometimes fighting with contractors who are trying to take advantage of people and um and and I you know that's part of the sensibility in these books, right? Is is you know people in the military often? I mean, it's a it's a working class job. The way that being a cop is is a blue collar job. Or a firefighter, you are. It, it's it's about your body in a lot of ways. I mean, you, there's a there's a mental side to it, obviously, and an emotional side. But um, you know, I, I I know a bunch of those guys, and there is that kind of blue collar, do this myself. Uh, you know, pain is just weakness leaving the body, kind of an aesthetic, which you know kind of speaks to me. Yeah. Let's transition to some of the cast of characters, because I love it when I find an author who has this small but powerful, uh, uh, vibrant circle of friends who the minute you you don't even need lots of description because there's just enough description that makes me fill in all the blanks. And I kind of paint the characters the way I want, which I think is a good writer. So let's start with Lewis. Tell me, tell me about this character and the fact that he, I love the fact that he shows up and launches the story, as you mentioned just moments ago. Well, Lewis, Lewis is, uh, Peter calls him the most, the most dangerous man he's ever met. And coming from Peter, that's, that is quite a statement. Um, Lewis is a, a semi-retired career criminal. We meet him in the first uh, book, The Drifter, when he's still at work as a career criminal. And he and Peter find something in each other and create this friendship. Uh, Lewis is, I know a lot of people like this, actually, who have sort of invented themselves. Lewis, Lewis just comes from a really rough background um, and sort of, and, but is crazy smart and, and basically learnt, taught himself how to be a functional adult at the public library. Um, did, didn't have really adults in his life uh, from a, from a young age that were worth a damn. Yeah. Um, so he, he is that kind of person. And I, I, I know a fair number of people like that. Um, and, and I think that's a kind of a very American thing. Uh, and so, but, but his, his life has changed a lot from that first book to now. So he's, he, he's fallen in love with his old sweetheart, uh, reconnected, actually Peter reconnected them. And they got married, and he has adopted their, her two boys. And so he has become a family man who who still needs to connect with Peter and to go out and to, you know, kind of raise a little hell and solve somebody else's problems because that part of him is still there, just like it is in Peter. Um, but that's a big chunk of what this book is about. It's a much deeper dive into who Lewis was you know, kind of what he used to do back, back when he was a career criminal. Um, we, we meet uh, his old crew, who, who we haven't seen since the first book. Um, and so, you know, to me, that was the challenge was to really, uh, and readers have been asking for this, actually, since the very beginning is, you know, where's, where's the Lewis book? So this is, in a way, sort of the Lewis book. The Lewis book, yeah. 
And while we're on characters, one more I'd like to get your uh, beat on is uh, June Cassidy, the girlfriend of Peter. She's tell me about her. <laughs> June's a piece of work. June, June yeah. is based on all of the strong women in my life. You know, from my my grandmothers, my mother, my sister, my wife. Um, you know, I, all of these women writers I know. Um, June does not take shit from anybody, and and. Peter, I needed Peter to have a person who was um, as strong as he was, who was not going to put up with his crap, who was going to demand things of him as, you know, ideally all of our, the women in our lives demand things from, from the men in their lives. Um, because men are inherently lazy, I think, and, and, and women always do most of the work. And, you know, so that was sort of where, that's, that was the vibe I was going for. Uh, she's a journalist. Uh, she's an investigative journalist, so she's she has some resources that uh, Peter uses in in this book. Well, she uses in this book, um, and she's really a partner. There are there are books where we see a lot of June, and books where we don't see quite so much. But um, she's really become an integral part of uh, the action stuff as well, because she's in some earlier books. She went through some stuff, um, and her response to it was to sort of uh, well, you can either you can either run away and hide from it, or you can step up and acknowledge it and do what you can do to make yourself a stronger person. And so that's what she's done. And in the process, she's become a, a bit of an ass kicker herself. Although it's never her first, it's never her first move, but she doesn't shy away from. It. Yeah, that's one of the things I like about her. And you said piece of work. That's the exact word phrase I was going to use. And how close to your wife is she? How much? How much do you pull from your wife? Yeah, I I don't. Really, my my wife no? is uh, no. My wife's an artist. Um, she's also a podcaster, actually. Um, uh, so, and she she is she is very much, you know, in the heart of this work because she is a true people person. And the books are the way they are. The characters have the complexity they do and the relationships they do because Margaret was always my first reader, and, and she is not going to read a thriller unless there there's some people stuff in it. Right. Um, so in a way, she, she kind of trained me how to write this kind of book. Um, and and you know, the, I am not Peter, right? But he sort of has my sensibility. Sure. Do you, uh, does she approach the wrong, uh, door and come in every once in a while? Nick, we need a little more people stuff. It's funny because I will show her, you know, sort of the first 10 or 15,000 words when I'm sort of like, is this a thing? Like, is this, is there, is this have any soul to it? Does this have anything to it? And, and whether it's true or not, her, she's a, she's a, an excellent spouse of a writer. She's like, it's fine. Just keep going. Like, it's all good. <laughs> uh, but then, but then she'll see, she'll see, you know, like the, the, I'll give her the finished manuscript and she's like, yeah, no, I don't, I got other things to do. Like I got, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't have time for this. And then she will finally sit down and she'll read the book in like two days. And she'd be like, yeah, I just, I kind of forget that like how, that you're a really good writer. And that like, and I, I think I don't like this stuff, but then the way you do it, like I just sort of fall into it. And it's, it's why I think I have so many female readers. I have more female readers than male readers. And that's a very unusual thing in a series like this. And I think, yeah. it, I think it is about those characters and the relationships they have with each other. And the way that they are trying to evolve and change it. 
And and Nick, I gotta I keep wanting to call you Peter. Nick, I that's one of the things I appreciate your writing uh, about your writing is the fact that there is this emotional thread that draws me to your characters on a level different than a lot. And, and uh, let me finish this sentence. Than a lot of other books I read. And trust me, I love the Page Turner. But I have found at now you'll be 160, what, 768 episodes or something, two and a half, almost three years. Good Lord. That I'm like, oh, give me something new or give me a variation on a theme or Jesus, just come up with, give me, give me a thread of something and build on it. So what I'm getting at, and I'm not bad mouthing anybody, but I'm just like, you know, the fact when you can find heart in a character of beyond just a gun and a knife. I'm I'm way more in and so there. Well, no, I'm I'm with you, and I, I like I, I love plot driven stuff. Uh, yeah. I, I've got friends who write it. Uh, I it I, it's it, you know in a way it's kind of my happy place because I don't have to think. I just get to sort of chew through this great story. Um, but you know I don't know that I'm capable of writing those. I mean I think that's a difficult thing in a certain way, and and I'm not sure I can. I, I can do that stuff. So I think one of the one of the interesting things as you, you know, sort of as you sink into this community of crime writers is how many different ways there are to do this thing. Mm-hmm. And there are some tropes. And I do I do get tired of some of that stuff. But mm-hmm. but it's also there for a reason. So it's mm-hmm. not so much about is the trope there, it's you know, how well how is it done differently? How is how how well is it done? Um, you know, it is a genre and there are forms to it. Um, but I, you know, I, I don't know. I have friends who write stuff that's so different than what I do and I just eat it up. Yeah. So it's all, you know, that's one of the great things about this community. Do you have a favorite author that writes in a similar, in the thriller genre? Uh, and I know you got a lot of pals. I mean, we all hanging out the same groups in uh, Thriller Fest, but is there somebody, and I know that's a loaded question because you're going to, well, if I say him and I don't say him or I say her and not, you know. Well, I, I can talk about my influences. There you go. Um, Let's do it that way. So, Nick. I mean, I, I do have a bunch of friends and, and, um, and in a way that's kind of, that's most of the fiction I read now are people that I know. But so, like, Robert Crace is a great example. So his first book, The Monkey's Raincoat, came out when I was in college. And and I had already been reading Spencer and Gregory MacDonald, and um, and I, I opened The Monkey's Raincoat, and I was like, oh, wow. Like, he is really, he's doing so many things all at once. Um, and so he really became, and I've, I've read everything he's done. He's actually, he's become a friend. He's a totally great guy. Oh yeah. Um, and you know, so he, he is one of my real inspirations because it is, there is a lot of tension and there's action, but at the, that the heart is at the center of it. Um, so I, I mean, I think that's the stuff that, you know, that I gravitate toward, um, in terms of inspiration, because that's that's what I'm interested in doing. I'm going to take 20 seconds off a beaten path because you said something um, about four minutes ago that I went, wow, it just surprised me. It was the ratio of women to men readers. And based upon my comment about a certain kind of having heart in a character and the fact that you just gave me, have you ever thought about it? And don't laugh until you hear me out. 
<laughs> have you ever thought about dabbling in something in the neighborhood of romance? Well, there's a point at which, I mean, if I did, it would have to be as somebody else. Sure. Right. There's a, there, the, the, my publisher and my agent are, are both very um, staunch defenders of the so-called Nick Petrie brand, sure. uh, which is kind of a weird thing to think about. And I think it's something that a lot of writers wrestle with. It's like, I've been, you know, this is the thing that they're interested in that I've been writing, but I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not just that I'm more than that. And so, you know, I have, uh, Michael Carita, uh, for example, writes, uh, started out writing these sort of ghost stories and then became a thriller writer. And then whenever he wants to write a ghost story, um, now he's, th those are published under, I think it's Scott Spencer. Spencer is his pen name. Um, so it's just, you know, it's a, the publishing business is a weird ass thing. Um, <laughs> so I, you know, I don't know. I, it, I, I also, I mean, the longer I write thrillers, the less patience I have for books in which nothing happens. Yeah. Well, who um, wants to read that? Well, a lot of a lot of people read literary fiction, and I I love the language and I love the character development. But if nothing happens, how I, it's just hard for me to stay interested. Right. Um. So I like I don't like it would be fun to write. I mean that that first book with Peter and June in it, Burning Bright, is is a love story. Uh, and the second book, actually, or the, well, which is lighted up, that where Peter and June get together again, you know, is also a love story, and that was part of the fun of that, uh, and of showing that. So, you know, I don't know the 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 downside to writing this successful, which is now, I guess, apparently a long running series. I've been told eight books. Eight books is uh, yeah, traction, baby. Keep yeah. going. So, like, I, I can't. I can't kill off June Cassidy, right? Peter, no. Peter can't, you know, have a girl on the side. Like that is just something that can't, that can't happen. And so um, uh, I'm going to preempt one of your questions, which is uh, probably what are you doing next? I'm actually working on a standalone where I get to kill anybody I want. Nice. Um, and uh, wait a minute, you, you get to, or Peter? I'm, I'm well, it's to... not Peter. It's a, so it's a, a standalone novel. Oh, um, the where big essay. I get to sort of start over in a way and, and, and try some new kinds of storytelling and some new kinds of characters. Um, and, you know, to sort of to your point, like it's fun. To, it's nice to be able to try something else and to sort of step out of the thing you've been doing so that you can go back to it and see it in a new way. OK, so let me ask this, Mr. Jump ahead of my preemptive question. <laughs> so I'm going to preempt your preempt and see you a preempt. Um, <clears throat> I have no idea what that means. Um, so if your people, I'm going to say your people in air quotes, Dancing Bunny says, I love Peter Ash. Don't change a damn thing. Nick, are they the same people behind? Hey, yeah, go out and knock yourself out. Try something new. Get. Uh, crazy with it we'd love to see what you got uh no i had to push hard to make this thing happen um my i, I had a, I had a, my the, the my first book i had a contract for two books and both in the series my second contract was for two more books three and number four was in theory a standalone by mutual agreement which in the publishing world means they tell you what they want and you do it <laughs> um wait how does mutual fit into that well uh, yeah it's well I, you know especially when you're early in your career you don't you don't have a lot of power in that relationship mm -hmm. um, i hear that you know cj box 
you know, John Grisham, Stephen King, they're on the other end of that equation. Yeah. Um, so it's just sort of the nature of that beast. But so five, six, and seven, it was, okay, well, seven is going to be a standalone. And I said, it really is going to be a standalone. And they're like, uh-huh, yeah, right. And then it came, and it was the middle of the pandemic, and I, I kind of got scared off. I was like, I just, I just want to go back into that familiar world with those familiar characters. And I did write something that was actually quite a bit different. That, was, that, was, that book was The Runaway. So quite a bit different from some of the previous, the previous mm -hmm. books. And then I was two months into a standalone for book eight, and they said, uh, yeah, no, we really would like another Peter Ash. And so that's, that's the price you pay. And at the end of the right, so this book took me, again, basically twice as long to write because just of the, the challenges inherent to it and life in general. Sure. I just kind of said, guys, I hope this works for you, but I, I, I need a break. I need to try something else. And so they're, they're all behind it. It's really interesting. My, my, uh, my editor is uh, super psyched to sort of see what happens. And uh, my agent is already uh, putting all these uh, good vibes out in the ether. So. so let me ask this question, because we're so specific in a lot of these details. Will you write this new standalone as Nick Petrie? Or will you have as a pen? As far as I know. Okay. Um, I, I, don't, I, I, would, I would have to fight pretty hard. Um, if they didn't want that, but it, it fits into the universe. These are, it's again, kind of working class characters. It's set in Wisconsin. Um, there's uh, a lot of heart. There's a lot of conflict. They're, you know, good guys and bad guys. It's, it's, a, it, I, it feels like a fit to me, but, um, we will see what, uh, my publisher says, but I'm, I, you know, it, honestly, it never, it never really occurred to me to be worried about. It. Yeah. Um, uh, little, uh, shiny object moment you're in milwaukee right yes and my wife is from madison and we went to visit a couple of years ago and i discovered two things that i fell in love with instantly much to my demise spotted cow craft beer and fried cheese curds now i'm a pretty healthy guy and i eat quite healthy and i because it, I just went overboard and I'm slugging spotted cow and washing it down with, you know, with uh, those cheese curds. I came home. Daddy wasn't very happy in certain places. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, it's, it's, I mean, the older I get, the less of any of that stuff my body is interested in dealing with. Yeah. Um, my body says, you're going to put that away right now or I'm going <laughs> to. Yeah. And there will be price to pay, sir. Pretty much, pretty much. <laughs> hey, I just want to lean in and say I do have a hard out in about uh, three or four minutes. Well, I'm so hard I, now. I'm going to hard out on you right now. All right. I just I, I don't I don't want to uh, cut you short or anything. So, all right. Here's what I'm going to do. You did this last time, but a lot of folks are joining me for the first time. I know it's a surprise too, but I always wrap with this question. What's your best piece of writing advice to all my aspiring writers, Nick? Uh, I actually talked to a lot of aspiring writers and the, the first is, seems like a no brainer, but it's read, right? You should read. That is how you learn to write is by reading and by, by uh, rereading books. Uh, and sort of the corollary to that is to the, uh, the, find a book that really spoke to you that that really you know kind of rings in you like a gong and on the second read through or the third read through take it apart write a beat line 
uh, you know, three or four lines for every chapter. Well, it depends how long your chapters are, but, uh, you know, who's the point of view, how many pages, what happens, kind of, you know, what's the emotional change. And you really can see how books are constructed, or at least how this book is constructed. Um, and if you go through, you can, you know, you learn really, really basic stuff like, oh, I can go six chapters, you know, I, you know, this character in chapter one and not see him again until chapter eight. Yeah. Um, like that, the, the reader will remember because I remember. Sure. Um, you, you, you know, you learn sort of how shifting point of views can work and how to share information. You, I, I, I still do it every year and I find it to be enormously helpful. Um, and I think that's, to me, that's sort of the, if you want to write novel length fiction, I mean, you can do it with short stories too. Sure. Um, but novel length fiction, if you don't, if you don't revisit and look at the machinery, right? You know, the first read, it's what happens, who are these people and what happens to them? The second read, you start to get a, a sense of, you know, kind of how it's done. The third read, especially, it's like, here are the gears, here are the pinions, like this is the way the thing was built. Yeah. Um, and that was so helpful to me as a, as a young writer, when I started doing that, it just made an enormous difference. Awesome. As always good. I could talk forever with you folks. If you want to learn more, go to nickpetrie.com. The book again is of course the price you pay. And, uh, it's so good to see you again. And, and I'm looking forward to the next book. We'll let you go now. And, uh, Nick, always, always a pleasure. Oh, likewise, David. Great to see you. And uh, uh, I don't know, next time you're in Madison, give me a shout. I would love that. We'll go, go get we some will... spotted cow. Yeah, but no cheese curds. No cheese curds. <laughs> All right, brother. Thank you. All right. Yeah, yeah. Take care. Always a good time with Nick Petrie. Just one more down-to-earth and talented writer. Okay, folks. Now, <clears throat> we're getting ready to kick off a brand new month, as you very well know. And that would be March. And what better way to kick off March than the one and only Mark Graney. Yeah, the gray man himself. So please join us as we kick off March. That is 4-4-24 when we sit down with Mark Graney, semi-live from Memphis, Tennessee, and talk about his latest book, The Chaos Agent. And as you will hear, I think could be his best work to date. Hey, before I go, I want to say thank you so much for subscribing to our YouTube channel. It's youtube.com slash the thriller zone. Also, thank you for those very kind five-star reviews on Apple Podcast. You know who you are. Means so much. And finally, I want to say thank you to our brand new sponsor, Blackstone Publishing. Always bringing top shelf entertainment to your home. Until next time, I'm David Temple, your host. Although I'm still your host all the time. <laughs> I'll see you next time for another edition of The Thriller Zone. The Thriller Zone has been presented by Blackstone Publishing and the exciting new spy thriller, Dark Arena, now available from your favorite bookseller. Learn more at blackstonepublishing.com.